0: One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to trapping. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write where can it go from here. You I'd be able to spend more time in the woods.
1: I was losing money handling fish traffic, but I didn't care.
0: Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got to the furrow this is Northern Michigan, this is what you do. Reference that in a positive light.
1: I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This is what I can
0: Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volume, the perfect and game magazine. Instruction from Pergo Gorman. Perk Lennon's articles of Perk Lennon. ads, add to the trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listen to the Develop a system yet. So that's working ahead of time to build big trappers. If you've got variables, the same as the characters, you've got Bobcats. He started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know. get me better. Trying set predator trash
1: and trash waiters. The back of that beaver looks like it. It was You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. Jeremiah Wood here. Great to be here with you. Thanks for tuning in. We're brought to you by Kotz Brothers Lures. K A A T Z P R O S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cotsboro's has everything you need for the trap line from traps, snares, baits, lures, books, DVDs. Check them out at Cotsboro's.com. On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Scout using the latest aerial imagery. Mark the trap locations, run tracks, and get landowner information. Figure out who you need to contact to get permission to trap on private land. And finally, Boyle, Make and Tannery. What are you going to do with the fur you catch this year or caught this past year? Go with the professionals, get it tanned, preserve it for the long term. If you're not going to sell that into the raw fur market, you don't have a local buyer, or you just get some projects you want to work on, maybe it's the first few animals that you catch and you really just want to preserve them, hang them on the wall. Uh, maybe make some mittens or a hat or something like that. Moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E. These guys are family run operation, they've been doing it for decades. They do an incredible job at a very reasonable price. It's, a, it's an amazing product when you get it back. So go to moil.net and use the um, customer portal so you can do complete your whole order online. Very easy to do, and that'll put you at the head of the line. They run those a little bit quicker and, and give some preference to people who use the portal. And let them know that I sent you info at moil.net, I-N-F-O at moil.net. Okay, hope everybody out there is doing great. It is a beautiful, beautiful day in northern Maine. The 10th of April, and I remember two years ago, on the 9th or 10th of April, it was less than 10 degrees outside. We had uh, two to three feet of snow, and I was uh, checking under ice beaver traps with my snowmobile. And so, and I've, I'm sure I talked about that in in this podcast. And we uh the snow out in the open is all gone there's some still some snow in the woods here but there's green grass poking out in the fields it's unbelievable um it's open water we we, our open water beaver trapping started about three weeks earlier than normal or earlier than it has started recently i think the last time it was this early was about 2012 so it is a big change and uh it's it's uh, one of those deals where you kind of you have to start soon if you're looking at quality of the pelt because the first few days after ice out are the best. Um, you wait a little bit longer and beavers tend to get uh, chewing on each other and fighting and getting cut up. And the, they sit out in the sun and the, the fur kind of loses quality every day that they're out uh, uh, above uh, the ice. So that, that's an important concern if you're looking for like really prime winter type, uh, uh pelts. However, uh, you get beyond that and you know, you're there, it's still a good quality pelt in terms of, you know, it's a good hatter pelt or, uh, it's probably, uh, very similar to a December, January beaver in, in parts of the, the middle part of the United States. So, um, it, it's and, and the casters worth a lot so it, it's it's just a beautiful time to get out um, I'm thinking a guy you know wants to push pretty hard at the beginning of the season but I've actually never had a spring where uh, the the season went longer than the fur quality was good so this will be a little bit interesting to see I think uh, some guys may actually move up north a little bit as the season progresses here in the next couple of weeks um, we, we go all the way to the first of May and uh, and maybe get into uh to some beavers where the the ice is just opening up, so we'll see how that goes. But it's been great um, catching some fur and having some fun and relaxing. Uh, and uh, I'll have a lot more to say about that in a future episode. But for now, uh, we got a pretty long interview tonight, so we're going to get into it uh, here shortly. Uh, we're going to talk one more time, the last final segment of the interview with Jeff Trainer from Fur Bear Conservation. And this is an important one because we we've Discuss this. I've had questions from people in the past. There's a lot of trappers who wonder, you know, guys that uh, they're out of that phase where they just learning to trap and getting going, and now a lot of us are in the phase where you you kind of you really enjoy trapping, you love it, and you want to preserve it, and you see all these challenges, these legal challenges uh, to ban trapping in certain places. This is particularly timely conversation because. Just uh, the past week or so, a or couple of weeks, the state of New Mexico voted uh, in the legislature a bill passed by one vote to ban all trapping on public land in New Mexico. And this was a long time coming. This battle was being fought in New Mexico for several years. The, the trappers were, were able to, to push back and, and fight it for a long time. It's just the, the political tide swung a little too far in one direction and there were enough votes to pass it just barely. It's it's incredibly unfortunate. So you think about like uh, most of us who have not had the opportunity to go out and trap in New Mexico. One of the greatest places to go from an out-of-state trapping perspective was New Mexico because there's so much public land. There's so much opportunity Places that you could go. I remember Clint Locklear in his trapping radio podcast talking uh, about his his trip uh, to New Mexico when he was early on in his trapping career. Uh, Kyle Kotz has talked about trapping in New Mexico. J.P. Wilson has talked about it here on the show, and it, it's the it's something that I always had in my back of my mind. In fact, uh, I, I've had discussions with with a, a fellow trapping today community member about going to New Mexico someday, you know, a few years down the road and, and maybe doing some, some bobcat coyote trapping on public lands there. Uh, If the governor signs this bill into law, it's going to be over. Uh, You could, you could still trap on private land if you can find a rancher and you find permission. And uh, a lot of those ranches, they are a lot of public land with a little bit of private land uh, and their the ranch is running, you know, these big swaths of, of large percentage public land. So is, this is this is a really bad situation. There's other uh, attempts to ban trapping that are underway. Uh, New York's got some legislation going on right now. Vermont has something kind of uh, a little bit off uh, off topic, uh, not directly related to trapping, but indirectly related to trapping. Massachusetts has a fur ban, um, so there's a lot of stuff going on here, and I don't have an answer as to what, how to stop this, because a lot of it's just um, it's it's like uh, trying to stop the tides of the ocean, uh, changing demographics and things like that. But there are things that we can do, and Jeff Trainer and I in this discussion get into some of the details on on what we've learned, and especially what he has learned. In years of advocating for trapping and how he has changed his stance and things, uh, offers advice and tips for trappers on how to be a good advocate for for trapping and for fur bear management. So it'll be a good conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. One of the things in the backdrop of all this is I would definitely encourage people um, to uh, to to get involved in the capacity that that you feel is best for you. But at the same time, make sh- don't just sit around and do nothing. If you're a trapper, I asked Jeff this conversation this uh, question directly in the, in our conversation. You know, do we have the responsibility as trappers to be an advocate for what we do? And we get into that quite a bit. But I would say that at, at the very minimum, you ought to be a member of your state trappers association. And uh, the National Trappers Association, and there are other organizations and groups that it, it's it would be very beneficial to be a member of as well. Um, so just th- things to consider. We'll talk about that in the future more in more detail, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, let's get into the conversation with Jeff, and and hopefully it answers a few questions. I've had those questions from people. How do I respond to the antis? And I had this that very question in mind. When we, we went back and forth on this stuff, and I hope that this will help provide some of you a few answers. So let's get into it. Now, it, it would be interesting if you could look uh, on, say, a, a thousand year time scale, and if you could see all the animal populations in North America, mm-hmm. predators and prey, and watch the wild, wild swings in abundance. Mm-hmm. Of all these species, I mean we see it in some cases with like lynx and snowshoe hare in in certain situ- in most of Canada and, and Alaska. Um, but if you could see that absent hunting and then mm-hmm. flash forward to the settlement of North America and the uh, beginnings of of animal harvest and sort of the over harvest of a lot of species, and then back to where we are kind of today i think we're we're actually trending toward maybe not enough harvest to manage most of these populations in my opinion i would agree
0: wholeheartedly i would agree wholeheartedly on that yeah we are we are in an upswing of um video games and social media and i don't think people are actively out hunting and trapping like they used to be which is ironic because we're seeing the most resistance to hunting and trapping now (laughs) Uh, than we have ever, and um, and I'm sitting there saying it's we're, there's barely anybody doing it now. What's your yeah. <laughs> if, we, if anything we should be maybe uh, promoting trapping a little more, you know? So,
1: but if you could look agreed. back on all that, you could find a sweet spot and say, look at this time period where populations—you didn't see these wild swings in population. You could harvest a certain percentage of the population and. Uh, like you said, individuals were healthier, reproductive rates were, were ideal, uh, animals were in more in balance with the habitat that was available, and in theory, I think that's what all wildlife managers are are striving for, or most are striving for, mm. uh, but in theory, if you had all that information, you could, there's no, I don't see how you could argue the, against the need for responsible wildlife management through harvest.
0: Agreed. Agreed, and
1: th- and everything is cyclical in nature.
0: If those upswings and downswings swings tell you anything, it's that um, there is an ebb and flow, uh, and we are just a small blip on the grand cycles of of nature. And you know, to, to shrink it back down into my little microcosm here in New Hampshire, I mean, we, we people have been arguing about fisher for years. There's a fisher decline. We're we're seeing a decline in fisher. The, the CPUE trends. Uh, which is the recording trends that we we use to measure uh, fisher populations. We use CPUE, basically catch per unit effort. Trappers submit uh, their effort, uh, and that's put through an algorithm that tells you gives you a, an approximation of what's on the landscape. Um, but it, it was trending down for several years, and then it flatlined, and now you're starting to see it bump up again. And you know, some of the biologists, I I had comments with some wildlife professionals where I said i'm not seeing a lot of Fisher. do you You know, maybe there's something here maybe we are losing our fissure and the response i got pretty much every time from everyone i talked to was it's cyclical this happened seven years ago you're going to see it yeah. ebb and flow again yeah. and sure enough we're on an upswing we, yeah. we went through a downswings about seven years ago and it's plummeted and now it's coming back up and now we're seeing Fisher and in the middle of the cities, I mean, I see roadkill female fishers uh, on busy city streets here in New Hampshire, Nashua, New Hampshire, uh, where there isn't a tree for two or three blocks. And There's a female fisher just dead in a snowbank. So, I mean, there's some adaptability there, and there's also some ebb and flow, and 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 things are cyclical. I don't, I think with the way, I think with the way the North American model. Of wildlife management is structured uh, and I think the um, pressure that is on our state agencies across the country um, I, 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 I don't think it would be very easy to over harvest pretty much anything yeah. at this point I, I think if anything we are well conservative, which is the way it should be. I mean this these are our trusted natural resources and I would much rather be conservative than than just uh, crazy, crazy out there over harvesting. Um, yeah, the, but
1: the key word words well, being harvestable surplus, right?
0: Exactly. I mean exactly. we're taking
1: a little bit off the top during those peak those those swings and we're we're maybe moderating some of the highs and lows depending on, on what Mother Nature is doing at the time. But um, it, it it is you are not in my opinion, you're not you're not taking animals that wouldn't have otherwise been killed in some other fashion, and you're taking them, right. putting them to good use, um, and and
0: you're celebrating it, and, and at the same time, you and know, you're paying and state agencies in, for
1: the privilege to do it.
0: Right, exactly. You're <laughs> you're funding, you're funding, you're generating funding, um, and then you even go into as far as trapping. I mean, heck, the biological data that trappers in every state and province supply their state agencies whether they know it or not yeah, uh, yeah it is it is it's just i mean that's irreplaceable it's we again we dealt with the same thing down here people argued well if the fisher populations are declining we um we should ban trapping it's a no-brainer let's ban trapping on all predators there's no need for this the the numbers are saying that the predators are declining and then my response is but if you ban trapping you're not going to get those numbers anymore <laughs> you're, 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 you're just you've just removed you've just removed your your ability to manage and track trends there's no there's no state biologist that's out in the woods taking head counts on long-tailed weasels <laughs> they're relying on trappers to give them the data for that stuff and that goes with every fur bear because these species are far too abundant uh to be to for state agencies to put the kind of funding towards it just doesn't happen you're not going to have someone that's going to be like oh geez i know i think we better have a raccoon biologist right. in, in in the state you know it's just not going to happen so you need the trappers uh Each, from a biological every, standpoint every
1: trapper is a data collector exactly or, we're or all or field biologists potential to be one yeah. yeah so um so here's one thing i wanted to bring up uh and and try to get some advice and thoughts that you might have based on your experiences with the new Hampshire issues and, and other issues that are going on uh, throughout the United States. We've got a lot of people that are listening into this show and I've had a lot of feedback from new trappers, relatively new trappers that are just getting into it. Maybe they've been trapping for a couple of years. Most of them are probably around our age um, and they are just starting to get involved in their association their state associations and and starting to to think more beyond just uh how do i trap this animal to what trapping means to me and how do i preserve trapping Um, and i'm getting a lot of feedback about trapping bill bills to ban trapping in different states as well as the united states and one of the common questions that i get uh, that I, I don't really have, I have my own answer, but I don't think it's quite as, as well thought out as perhaps what you would have as an answer to this. How do you, um, y- you've got these issues going on and you've got these letters to the editor. You've got uh, a lot of things being said on different medium media. How do you respond to the antis? <laughs>
0: um do you want an answer from the old me or the, or the current me? <laughs> um, the, uh, that's a rhetorical question. Uh, they, <laughs> I, I don't. That's my answer now. Um, I used to bring it right to him, Jeremiah. I really did. I, I, I hung on every word uh, from activists and people opposed to trapping to the point where it became polarizing and it pretty much consumed me. You know, and you can't, you can't fight an emotional argument with emotion. And it took me a few years to kind of figure that out—that uh, you can't, you know, just like we were talking about earlier. You wanna, you wanna play with the pigs, you're gonna get dirty. Um, so I, I would say you, you don't. What you try to do is work on the public because that's ultimately what the activists are doing as well. The people that are, I'll I'll say trapping critics, because, you know, I think animal rights activist is such a diffused term. Now there's, there's plenty of people that aren't, uh, aren't militant activists uh, that are opposed to trapping. So I'll say trapping critics uh, for the sake of argument. Um, But I think you, you can, you can spend your time and your resources getting hung up on what they're saying and how you want to respond to that. Or you can take what they're saying and apply that towards a public relations campaign. You know, so take the time to meet with your legislators locally and, 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 and at the state level, take the time to write an editorial in your local paper, take the time to bring people out, um, trapping or, or, or you know I, I encourage people to do that through their or their state organizations just so there's there's some continuity there but um uh, get behind your your associations your state your state associations get some camaraderie and develop a public relations campaign because i think that is the biggest detriment to trapping today is the public relations uh outreach i don't think there's enough and when i say i don't think there's enough that doesn't mean you know uh, a tailgate full of beavers uh being posted on social media because again i i've been there too right you know i thought <laughs> if people see if people are seeing what i'm harvesting then they're going to understand it it's just like the deer on the tailgate you know let see the me holding up you know four possums or something um and that that backfired quickly uh, because people <laughs> take that stuff and then they just they they uh, they it allows them to come to their own they remove your context okay so when I say public campaign and outreach, I mean the um, talk to your state agencies. What are they using trappers for? And then ask yourself why that information is, is not getting out to the public. I, I can tell you, at least in New Hampshire's case, and it wasn't by any fault of ours, our, our state agency. It was just a matter of, uh, you know, you've got a lot of moving parts and it's there's a lot of communication breakdown there. But um, you know, we, you, have to, you have to establish why trapping is relevant. And frankly, as much as I agree with it, I don't think the case of heritage or tradition is really going to hold water in the 21st century society. Um, I think it needs to be, if you enjoy natural resources, we should be working together, not against each other. Right. And and I've said it before in testimony, I've said it before, I've said it directly to activists uh, when I was arguing with people while giving talks publicly that I would much rather be standing here fighting over a resource than having nobody care at all. Yep. So I think that from a public outreach standpoint, we need to. And when I say we, I mean trappers collectively across the country need to establish the importance of what it is we are doing in the 21st century rather than hanging on to the fact that, well, it's it's my right to wear fur and it's my right uh, to have a have a fur hide if I want it. I think we should be promoting the fact that this is a this this is the meat and potatoes of managing natural resources. It's these are abundant species uh, that uh have the potential to create some real public safety and 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 property destruction issues and we can manage them in a way where uh it's ethical uh it's regulated because again all trapping at least at the state level is through your state agencies you have to buy a license you have bag limits you have seasons um you know i think we need to I think you need to focus rather than responding to activists. I think there needs to be more uh, camaraderie and more of a public relations campaign out there.
1: So, um, if, and that's, it, it, let's drill down just a little bit. Um, so, so if I'm, I, I get a, somebody that wrote in the local newspaper and said, um, trappers are, are cruel, um, horrible practices. They have, uh, they, they kill animals indiscriminately, they don't check the tra- traps regularly. They they cause this in, insurmountable pain and suffering, and there's no need mm-hmm. for it today. Um, if I'm, I may feel the need or the desire to write a letter to respond to that, but I should. Uh, what you're saying is I should respond not to that, but uh, direct my comments towards the the uh, the vast majority of people that are not the anti-crowd and focus on uh, what we're doing as trappers, uh, how it's regulated, how trapping is important in its role in wildlife management.
0: In a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah,
1: no, I think that's, yeah, I think that's perfect. I mean, I mean, I guess
0: respond, um, you know, when I think of respond, I mean, you're, you know, I'm not stupid. You're stupid defense. You know, you see that Um, I've seen, I've seen that in the past. (laughs) Oh yeah. And that, and that's where I say tread lightly when when, you know, responding directly uh, to a, to an attack. Uh, But with something like what you mentioned, the example of a, of an editorial, a a response editorial of, um, you know, regarding the editorial from such and such date, um, Uh, I would contend as a, as a licensed trapper who had to go through a certification course or who has a rapport with my local warden. Um, These are the reasons why I feel trapping is beneficial to me and to the public who does not trap. And this is why Um, I think formulating those arguments, flushing those arguments out in an editorial, rather than just um, you're a crazy, you're a crazy wacko vegan and um, you know, you you know, your your opinion doesn't matter, uh, because you're crazy. Um, you know, that stuff just doesn't. That's yeah. it's you're you're no better than them at that point when you when you boil it down to something so obtuse, you know. And it, and again, it took me a while. I I used to antagonize um and, and I you know, after a while I just realized what am I doing? This isn't this isn't who I am. I got friends who are vegan who support the fact that I trap. Mm-hmm. Um you know. But and they I've know got you and they know that, your context. Exactly. And that's the problem is that context in the public arena uh, is always uh, skewed or abused or twisted or manipulated. So sticking with the facts um, and 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 trying to spin it on on how trapping benefits the non trapper.
1: Yeah, I like uh, like what you mentioned about uh, you mentioned working together and the idea that we we all care about the wildlife that we're that we're managing. I really like those points. Exactly.
0: And, and that's just it. I mean, we're all stuck on this giant dirt ball together, right? We, we don't have a choice. Uh, we have to somehow, as they like to put it, coexist. Um, so why not? Uh, why not try to? You're, you're never going to win over uh, activism. It's and especially in, in the 21st century, everything is so darn polarizing these days. Uh, just everything. I mean, you, you can't. I could could say that the sky was blue and there'd be a debate. But, you know, I think...
1: um, Wearing a mask is
0: a political statement.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, it's just everything is just so... And what it does is it cheapens. So the two cancel each other out, right? So you get someone who's hardcore anti-trapping, and then you get someone who's hardcore pro-trapping, and they're fighting amongst themselves and wasting so much of their energy and resources on trying to figure out why the other person is wrong and guess what the whole point of what you're doing which was trying to uh win over viewers or or people to come to your quote unquote side of the argument it's all lost in the noise so you know you gotta have salient points and you've gotta have points and 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 arguments that that are, are are established and that and that the non-trapper can appeal to, right? Because we are, whether you want to admit it or not, we are a minority and um, we rely uh, legislation and policy and wildlife management, all of this stuff is, it's a mob ruled situation, you know? And I think that a lot of times that's where the anti-trapping, anti-hunting trapping critic uh, sector get most of their strength is is from that aspect you know so again i would i would just to 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 give you the short answer to that i mean i would say um i would say just your your responses should be salient and and fact-based and um and try to limit getting bogged down in the minutiae um try to appeal to the non trapping public
1: yeah yeah. You're, you're, you're a human being just like, uh, you were, what well, you were describing, oh, I've never been through a divorce, but <laughs> you, you always hear about, uh, either both sides end up hating each other more and the lawyers get all the money. And and that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about is fight, fighting the antis in a, in a trapping, uh, legal battle. Yeah. I just remember, I just remember times of getting so, I would
0: have arguments in bed with myself over a comment left on facebook on a local news article yeah and at some point like you know in like 2017 or something you know something snapped and i was just like i can't i'm not doing this anymore this is foolish to i'm passionate yes and i'm uh, i'm not necessarily passionate um about trapping for the sake of fur trapping for a fur hide i mean i have my reasons for why i did it and, and why I still support it and promote it. But the point is is that you just can't you, – you lose sight of what you're trying to do, and then you just burn yourself right out.
1: I, and was, I was there, yeah. uh, the, bear, the last bear referendum. Um, oh, sure. You guys got hit hard, man. And uh, I remember how emotional that was, and I, I think part of it, too, is, is maybe it's part of the maturing process as you get older. Uh, yeah. If I would have – if I would today – uh, think and act the way I did back then, I I would have expired long ago. I would have had a heart attack. Oh yeah. Oh
0: god. Yeah. I am in the same boat. Yeah. No. Uh, same boat. I mean, the things uh, the things that people locally who are opposed to trapping uh, have said about me publicly, uh, said about my family publicly, um, the the nasty grams I get <laughs> on fur bear conservation because people find the site and. Uh, I don't know what they're thinking, but obviously it makes them feel better to just drone on in an email. Um, and it's very easy for me to just click delete. But yes, um, you don't even have to. You, read know, it. you <laughs> yeah, you get bogged down. I'm sure, I'm sure you get your stuff too. I mean, you're yeah, you're it, up there it, in the search rankings. It so. comes
1: and goes. It comes. and I, I. When you delete it, 99% will never write again uh, if you delete and don't respond. And there are the 1%. Usually about three, four times they realize that, oh, he's not publishing any of this and he's not responding. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: And I and that was the problem is that for many years I would
1: I could show you Facebook,
0: you know, uh, back and forth where I mean, we're talking several paragraphs each you know, their, their response and my response is seven paragraphs and their response is seven paragraphs and my response is seven paragraphs. Some of these arguments I would be going on for days. Yeah. And, you know, you're like, after a while, you're like, what am I, what? I? I did this because I wanted to do public outreach. And part of public outreach is trying to uh, have conversation with the other side, those that are opposed to your views. And, uh, and that can, that's not just trapping. That's with any concept. You've got a website or, or any kind of uh, project that is based off of a passionate subject, and you, you're going to have critics, and you want to try and convince those critics of why you're why you're a good person and why you're doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, you just take it to the extremes, and it always, always just spirals. Um, into, and, and yet you end up looking silly. Uh, the other side ends up looking silly. And realistically, nobody really sees it. And those that do see it, they don't care because other than some arguing banter, you know, a few minutes of entertainment, maybe um, there's no meat in, in any of that. It's you're 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 yelling through a through a black hole. And that's, you know, that's where you got to kind of take your responses to criticism for trapping and, and, and try to use that collectively in a way that is going to benefit your end game, which is to promote the regulated use of yeah. wildlife.
1: One of the things that, that I've given a little bit of thought to in, in this whole concept is people, the facts are important. The science is important. But a lot of people do not, That doesn't sink in. So you can give them all of the facts. A certain percentage of people will will take that in and digest it and come up with their opinions based on that information um, and again the 80 percent of the people probably are watching these interactions between the trapping community and the anti-community or the critics and uh they're they're in a lot of ways don't really have an opinion they may lean one direction or the other but they they haven't they don't have a strong opinion about trapping and someone don't even hardly know it exists now right. the what they are picking up on some are picking up on the facts and the science. Some are simply picking up on how you treat somebody else and the what the feeling that they get from, you know, how you conduct yourself and making your points or your arguments. So how do you balance? Um, and I don't know if there is an answer, but but balance the the uh, spitting out the facts versus just the you know presenting yourself as a respectable person. Get
0: off social media.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the best
0: thing I did. Best thing I did was stop responding to things on social media because uh, it's just become a garbage pit of opinion. And here, you know, you've got you've got you've got three layers of people. You know, that I always laugh and say, "There's there's three layers of people on on social media." There's the, there's the true garbage people who just. Their opinion is the only opinion. They're belligerent. They're nasty. uh, And if you ever saw them face-to-face, they'd be the sweetest people you'd ever meet. But behind a keyboard, they're just ugly. (laughs) Um, And then you've got the middle ground people that use social media for what it is and don't really interact or do too much. And then you've got people that want to use social media as a communication tool and go overboard sometimes with their communication. And they're passionately trying to communicate to the garbage people. And it's just not... It's just not worth it it's just not worth the time to um have an argument with someone who thinks that like a wolf lives in their shed in in new york city or something like there's just we it's a it's a big population of people right and if you're going to waste all your resources on that one person that says trapping is a terrible thing um you know, I'll, I'll always have interactions with people and I'll discuss with anybody. You know, if you sit there and say, I, I don't agree with trapping um, because I, I don't think it's right, but I understand what you're doing and, and you know, agree to disagree. Fine, whatever. Well, I'll, I'll engage. We'll have a chat. Uh, but then you've got people that, you know, say that I, I you know, you, you just want to kill things for the sake of killing things because you have a psychological disorder. Uh, delete. I'm not even I'm not even responding to that anymore because it's just it's useless. It's It's yes. futile. And you, you, why waste your resources? And that's the problem, is that for many, many years, because I was as passionate as I was, I would waste the time on those people. And and I think social media was kind of even, you know, we're, we're talking like we're old grandpas in rocking chairs back in the old day of Facebook, but it really has changed dramatically, even in just 10 years. Imagine
1: in the and, next 10 years how it's going to change.
0: Yeah, if it's even going to still be here. I mean, I frankly, the, the way facebook in particular is going i I don't i don't even know if it's gonna still be around i think it's gonna go the way of craigslist or something but um you know it's just it's the point that um you know i caution people on how much they respond to the individual and and take that energy that they would if they if they're so inclined to respond and use it in a calculated method that promotes the benefit of what we are doing this is chess. Not checkers.
1: I like it, and and you could have written a lot more fur bear conservation articles back with all that energy. Absolutely,
0: oh, absolutely,
1: yeah. I mean, think about yeah, think about if I wasn't, uh, if I wasn't picking fights with people online. Yeah, and they, and they don't fall to the bottom of the comment feed on Facebook either. Yeah, so that's uh, yeah, that's cool. So so we have our our day-to-day interactions with the public as trappers and, you know, going about either trapping or you're wearing maybe a t-shirt, someone asks a question or whatever. And, and uh, I, you know, that's an obvious place to, to sort of be advocates. We have uh, maybe some limited social media uh, in the right context. Um, I think it, it seems to me that it is very beneficial in, like, legislative hearings, um, committee mm. hearings, where you have an audience, you have a limited amount of time, and it takes a lot of effort sometimes, right? I mean, I'm sure you've been up and testified at fishing game hearings and and uh, the legislature. It, it, you know, you got to travel, you, but you have an audience that's relatively. I mean, they they have their opinions, but they're decision makers, and they're giving you an opportunity to to speak on a on a subject, and they are they have to sit there and listen to you so right so there's absolutely that. um uh, what else we got
0: i mean and, and you know to touch on that to touch on the legislative aspect of that um i encourage people to reach out to their their legislators uh or even if it's a sponsor of a bill on a trapping bill um reach out to them have a polite and uh respectable uh exchange because I think oftentimes we get bogged down in parties and I think a lot of times we get bogged down on, on one political spectrum or another, and we lose sight of, well, oh, well, you know, this particular party is, is, is just anti everything. And they're just going to, you know, they're not going to listen to me anyway. That can't be further from the truth. They're people, everybody, all of your legislators are people just like you are. And, um, you know, especially if you establish the fact that you are a constituent, are a resident of the state where they're trying to impl- implicate their whatever legislation may be, take the time to talk with them and explain why, uh, in a professional and, and courteous manner, why you're against or supportive of, of a particular thing of legislation. Don't write people off, um, because I think that's part of the problem, is that a lot of times these legislators will put these bills through because they've heard from 15 activists and they didn't hear a single thing from sportsmen. The sportsmen, you go and tell, them, hey, you know, reach out to so and so. I'm not going to reach out to them. I know they're anti. Exactly. There, you just no made the point. decision
1: for them, right? Um, yeah. I, I'm going yeah. to. I do this at my own peril. So um, I'm going to talk politics for just a second. Uh, and I've, I, <laughs> I've had actually several emails from people thanking me for never getting into politics on this podcast. Um, yep. <laughs> but I, but I think it's an interesting point that needs to be made. So we know generally Republicans are generally going to be more pro-trapping and Democrats are generally going to be more anti-trapping, just as as an overall general rule. and The data across the country would would, uh, would
0: correlate with that.
1: Right. Now, I, li- I grew up in a valley in northern Maine that's uh, primarily French-Acadian, uh, different background from the rest of the towns surrounding it, uh, that is, I believe, about 80% Democrat. There are two legislators that come from that valley and represent us in the capital, and both of them are pro-trapping. Mm-hmm. It's because their constituents, even though they're Democrats, their constituents tell them on a regular basis, we need to manage coyotes. We are hunters, fishermen, trappers. We, we want you to support this. And so it, you can't just paint a broad brush and think that it's no use talking to these people because, like exactly. you said, they, they are people and they can be influenced by their constituents. And I
0: usually I mean, going back to your 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 uh, your audience that says uh, that thanks you for not getting into politics. I mean, I I would say they are right uh, in the in the simple aspect that wildlife management and resource management should not be politicized to begin with. Yeah, um, it, it often is. I'm saying that <laughs> I'm saying that not naive to the fact that it, it, it almost all the time is, but it stands true to the concept that it shouldn't be. Um Because it it is a public trust and it is there for everybody. So regardless of what side of the political spectrum you follow, and I have my opinions as well um, and my hard leanings on certain viewpoints. But when it comes to managing our resources, um, whether the the letter that is after uh, an individual's name that I'm going to speak with is irrelevant to me it's how they respond to my talking points and my concerns as their constituent. Then we can play ball and, and, and you can kind of get into the aspect of, you no, know, Hey, they're not listening or, or whatever, but you can't, you can't write people off without giving them a chance. Some exactly. of the people that I thought would never, ever, you just look at them and you say, they are not a hunter or trapper and they do not care for me. Um, And those, some of those people have been the ones that are like, you know what? My grandfather used to trap. I I get it. Um, you know, my husband trapped when he was a kid trapped muskrats before school. I totally understand it. Um, I'm going to talk to some people behind the scenes and see what we can do about this. Yeah. That's a lot of times. That's the response I get from places you would not expect it. So, um, you know, that's, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to politicize uh wildlife management and i would hate for people to pigeonhole their legislators because number one because it's doing a disservice to your legislators but number two it's giving perhaps the not so friendly legislators an argument as to why they're supporting legislation Ah, no one talks to me
1: right yeah and i think you make a good point you 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 do develop an understanding in certain people. It doesn't matter what you say. You're not going to change the way they're going to vote, but you've got to give them a chance. And you can say you talk to them. You can say you can go into testimony or something and say,
0: you know, hey, so and so facing facing reelection, you know, and they uh, they were not very uh, receptive when I was there for this. You know, it, it's all politics are game. Um, It's a game just like any other game. Unfortunately, this is our lives that we're talking about here But that's just the reality of it is that it is a game Um, and at the end of the day most of your Politicians don't want to create waves. They really don't they they like their seat or they like their position and They want to deal with things as least controversial as possible because that way uh, like a true politician they don't have to pick a side Mm -hmm. so Sometimes nudging and pushing is enough to get them to say, this is a polarizing topic. I want no part of this. Let's kill this bill." Exactly. I've seen that That's happen exactly a thousand right.
1: times. Yes, because you don't have to. I mean, in the most for the most part, as trappers, we're trying to defend keeping what we have. We're not. I mean, there's right. some rare cases. Well, like the bobcat example, perhaps, but uh, all you don't need them to pass anything. You just need them not to right. pass something. Yeah, just
0: it's just enough for me to sit there and say, "Look, you." You you are going to be mentioned in the papers about this. This is going to be a hot button topic. Do you really want to dive into this? Things are working well the way they are right now. You're not seeing whatever X animal uh, disappearing from the face of the planet. Do you really want to die on this hill? And a lot of times that's a, you know that can be a political uh, strategy for for some of this stuff. You know it's it's dark to to think like that, but.
1: Unfortunately that's the way our uh, some of our some of our politicians uh,
0: think so use yeah. the... it
1: yeah and I guess the, the other thing that I might add is that we we all have our own style and our own personality and how we deal with these things so I, I wouldn't want to paint anybody into a corner and say you need to uh, this right. is what you need to do because you know there's certain things that I don't do because I'm not as confrontational as some of my fe- fellow trapper friends who who go a little, further with some of the advocacy, uh, that's just not right for me. So uh, everybody kind of has to find find your own place there, but always keep that in mind and, and do what – I think – I don't know. if I was going to ask you this, actually. Um, are we – as trappers, do we have an obligation to be advocates for what we do?
0: Yes, and the reason why I say yes is because <laughs> – far too many people sit back and say someone else will deal with it. Yeah. And I can tell you it happens in every state. It, it happened to me um, where the people that are that passionate eventually will get burnt out. I I had enough at one point. I, I was consumed. I was in the legislative halls. I was writing letters. I was arguing with activists. I was writing in newspapers. I was writing articles on my website. I was... Um, you, know, you just and you try you, you think that you've got an army behind you and you think that you're part of a you got some camaraderie and you turn around and there's nobody there and the attitude is always well it's you know it's trapping season i got to go out and trap or i don't see it as much with trappers as i do with hunters but um you know you, you get the argument that it's well I, I don't like politics i don't like dealing with that stuff i just want to go out and enjoy hunting well guess what they're going to reach a point where you're not going to enjoy it anymore because it's not going to be around because all the places you're going are posted or because a new law just got passed that says you can't do X, Y, and Z. And then it's those same people that come back and say, why wasn't anyone on this? Where was our state advocacy agency? Why weren't we? How come we didn't get any notice about this? They can't do that to us. Well, guess what? They just did, and it's because you didn't do nothing. So, I mean, that's a big one for me is you have to, if you are going to take part, in these activities, I'll just say activities. If you're going to take part in these activities in, in in the 21st century, you absolutely part of taking part in those activities is taking part in defending them. Um, because if you're not going to bother defending them, then you might as well just stop doing it. Because someone else is going to make that decision for you. I'm telling you, especially in the Northeast, man. I can't speak for the rest of the country and down south. Maybe they're a little better off than we are, but the Northeast is in a very strange transition of a lot of things and a lot of changes and you have to be active on what is important to you because if you're not active and vocal about protecting it, it, there are other people who are active uh, and vocal about taking it away from you.
1: Yeah, there is definitely a state-by-state domino effect as well. When, When certain activities are banned in one state, they tend to come up uh, in, coincidentally in another state that has similar mm-hmm. uh, political leanings so you had the, uh, the fur ban in California uh, that passed you had the trapping ban you had uh, shortly thereafter a fur ban in New, New York which I don't believe has gone anywhere yet they're um, still fighting it yeah. you got a uh, trapping ban in Washington State a trapping ban in Massachusetts and that passed a long, long time ago. Trapping foothold trapping ban in Colorado that passed a long time ago. In uh, and, and every, it seems like almost every state. Even when I was in Montana, there were trapping ban bills to, to ban trapping yep. on public lands. It, you know, they, so there it's there's always something coming up, and, and uh, I don't think anybody is immune to it.
0: No, absolutely no. not. No one, no one is immune to it. Perhaps your your more rural settings. Um, your more uh, spread population states um, will probably fare better than a state as dense as, say, Connecticut or Massachusetts. And Massachusetts, ironically enough, you know, fur ban in California. And guess what? Fur ban legislation being That's being fought right, right now, now. Yep. in uh, in Massachusetts. So, I mean, it it is absolutely a domino effect. And even down here. Uh, we see it uh, with our sisters over in Vermont, um, right across the river, you know, New Hampshire and Vermont. As soon as there's chatter from an organized group opposed to hunting in Vermont, next thing you know, that same legislation is across the river in New Hampshire the following year and vice versa. It, it bounces back and forth. Um, and they even draw from Maine. I mean, you know, they draw talking points from Maine. And so there is, It it sets up a catalyst uh, and that's how legislation works. You know, it, It gets pioneered in one place and then, you know, um, you know, it it gets referenced um, for other places saying, hey, they did it. And look, they're not uh, not—they're and the raccoons are not carrying their people away uh, by droves. So uh, a ban here would be just as fine. It's and that's the thing is that it it, it sets a catalyst and it's just it, it sets an ugly domino effect, as you mentioned. So,
1: yeah. Well, what's in the future, Jeff, for you <laughs> and for us, uh, as trappers, the future? I guess. <laughs> uh, the future for trappers. Um,
0: I don't know. I mean, I want to be. I want to be optimistic. Uh, in New Hampshire, we cannot fill our trapper education classes fast enough. Um, the demand is that high. That's awesome! And, wow! Oh, it's incredible! It is absolutely incredible! And, and
1: you, you teach a trapper education course, right?
0: I do. I am a certified instructor with the state, uh, volunteer, um, a- along with several others. Uh, I'm active in the New Hampshire Trappers Association. Um, again, even though I don't really do uh, a lot of quote-unquote fur trapping anymore, I do still put fur up. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I would say I'm probably 99% uh, commercial. Damage control, trapping, and and even a vast percentage of that. Very rarely am I actually uh, using lethal tactics. There's yeah. certainly a, an integral part. But, um, but yeah, we're I mean we're seeing a demand in our trap red classes here, and I think part of that is that uh, while there is a cross section of people moving to the Northeast who um, want a hands off uh, approach to everything wild, uh, there's another cross section uh, that is moving here for the homesteader. Uh, mindset. And they recognize that preparing your own food and fibers uh, off of the land, they want to have those skills. 90 uh, 90 is a little high. I'd I'd probably say, you know, probably about 70% of the people that go through my trap bread classes will probably never actually go on to buy a license. But they've taken the class. They understand what it's about. They support it. And for the most part, they remain active, whether it's through uh, the association or through the fish and game department. Um, I see the same faces popping back up, even if they don't go on to actually set traps. There's a thirst for knowledge out there uh, for trapping. There's an interest, and um, I think it will always be around. I think the future of trapping will always be here. The question is, in what capacity? Um, And that is really beholden to society. Um, Ultimately, society as a whole has to make those decisions. Places like Maine um, and Vermont, I think you guys are in better shape for the long haul, just because I think things are a little more rural uh, than they are in New Hampshire, Mass, Connecticut. Um, But I think overall, I think traffic will remain. I do think it will remain the question is what capacity will it will it be mostly for damage control i mean even back several years ago when i was still fur trapping 90 percent of my fur trapping was still problem properties yeah you know i was there for a reason i wasn't i wasn't just recreating on property just oh, i'm gonna put a trap here and see what i catch i wasn't really doing a lot of that even a few years ago it was mostly i got a beaver problem and while you're here you can you can trap for muskrats and mink too sure. um You know, that sort of thing. So I don't know uh, what capacity trapping will be in in the future, but I think it'll be around for a while. These critters aren't going anywhere. And, you know, the reality is that even though we don't need management per se, is going to be the argument from some people, um, people don't want fewer raccoons in their attic. They want none. So there's a social tolerance there on that aspect too where, once things become a problem, um, people start to recognize that. And, and even in places like Massachusetts where, where they thought they were getting off scot-free with a full ban. Well, they reversed that decision very, very quickly Or when they did a trapping ban yeah. in Massachusetts in 96, the beaver population, uh, went up to, 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 to over 2000 in just a year or two, a couple of years. And so, um, I, I think it'll always there will always be a need and a demand, and I think even the the people who are staunchly opposed to trapping I think they recognize that, which is why they attack the fur, because if you can attack yep. the fur usage, then you're you're omitting uh, the the seasonal trapping aspect of it. So it, I, I think it'll still be around. I think there's always going to be a need. For myself. Um, I don't know what the future holds, you know, uh, bear conservation will uh, continue to be a a resource. I will continue to be outspoken about my support for regulated trapping. Uh, and as a wildlife management tool, I will always support that as long as the science shows that we should be supporting it. Um, I'm hoping to, uh, I've got some irons and some fires with some other uh, folks, who are well known throughout the area um, the region who have expressed some interest in kind of uh, bringing more content so i'm hoping that i can get some more folks into the content production uh, to keep the keep the machine flowing um, and i will continue to uh, solve people's critter issues <laughs> in the meantime
1: awesome hey this has been a, a great conversation i i uh, really really enjoyed it uh did we miss anything i i think we pretty much went soup to nuts brother all right <laughs> well thanks again i think you're, we covered it you're always welcome to come on if you got something else going on or you just want to want to shoot the breeze about trapping it's always fun
0: absolutely i appreciate it uh i'm a big fan of yours as well uh kudos to you for everything you're doing up there uh it's it's really amazing and it's great to have some camaraderie with some other folks uh you know producing quality trapping content uh that is promote salient points so um kudos to you hats off to you and i hope you continue uh continue with your endeavors as well
1: small steady steps man
0: that's it that's it <laughs>
1: All right. Well, thanks, Jeff. Take care.
0: Absolutely. Thank
1: you. All right. Bye. Okay. That's it for tonight's episode. Hope you enjoyed it and learned a little bit. Jeff is an incredibly uh, sharp dude, very articulate and has a lot of well thought out points. So it was a lot of fun to talk with him and a fellow trapper from the Northeast. So hopefully someday we could get together and, and uh, maybe do something trapping related in person. That'd be great. So anyway, that's that. And, Let's get into the Cots Bros message of the week. Cots Brothers are, as we've mentioned before, in the market for Glands, Skunk Essence, and Castor. So they are buying those things pretty aggressively. Um, they've reached some targets on some items, but they have uh, a lot of things that they're still looking for. And a lot of this stuff is uh, the prices are very highly elevated. Because uh, it's just, it's it's so, such an odd market right now. And things are just so difficult to find. So uh, this is just an update from April 9. So if you go to CotsBros.com and you click on About and go down to Blog, cl- click on the blog and you will get uh, all of this information listed out. And when there's updates, uh, it, you're going to see that uh, listed down in that uh, blog post. So, here's an I'm just trying to scan this a little bit to see if I can find the the updates that are recent that we haven't talked about. So, beaver caster has been going for $80 a pound, fully dried caster. That's what they're paying and uh, th- that is an incredible price. Like I said, the auction results have shown have had caster going for like 90 to 110 depending on the quality of the caster and uh, the the, uh, the particular auction, but it's been really high. But remember with the auction, you're losing some commission there. And so, and then you got to pay to ship it to the auction as well. So, and then you got to wait maybe six months to get your money. So it, it, it can be a very good option. And I've done that. I've sent, I've sent quite a bit of caster to the, to fur harvesters, but this is a good option as well. $80 a pound is not too bad. Now, all caster received after April 15th will be at $75 a pound. So that is a change. That is a a recent update. So just keep that in mind. You you um, It looks like the, the price is going down a little bit. Maybe they're getting closer to meeting what they need. So if you guys are out there spring beaver trapping and you have caster, I would suggest you uh, try to get that dried down and sent uh, soon if possible. Or talk to Kyle. Maybe he's willing to, to buy it semi-dry and then... Uh, What he'll do is just dry it out himself and then pay you once it's fully dried based on the dry weight. Um, They're full on oil sacks. They're full on coyote glands. They're still looking for uh, red fox glands, bobcat glands, gray fox, and badger. They're not buying otter glands anymore. Um, They are buying mink glands and muskrat glands for you spring muskrat trappers. Skunk essence, $18 an ounce. That's a good price and uh, a few other odds and ends. But anyway, go to CrossBros.com, get that information. And, hey, that's going to be it for this episode. It's been a great one. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, love to hear from you. I have a lot to talk about, a lot of response to last week's episode on – the, uh, the trapping backpack uh, situation with, with uh, all different guys' solutions that people have come up with. It's been awesome to see that. I, w- I was amazed. I knew it was a common problem, but I didn't realize how many listeners actually have had similar issues to me and have devised different uh, solutions. So that was pretty cool. Cool. All right, we'll get into that and so much more in future episodes. It's getting to be that time of year. It's just absolutely nuts starting here about a week ago, and it's going to be crazy all summer long for me. And uh, But but we will get through this summer together and into next trapping season. I'm excited looking forward to it as always. But I'm going to enjoy summer here for a little bit and get some stuff done. So till next week, guys, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. We will catch you on the next episode.